Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to Deutsche Grammophon's international podcast series. I'm Sarah Willis, and I just love podcasting with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. My guest today is one of the world's leading conductors. He has three day jobs, three orchestras, which kept him very busy during the pandemic. But he also found time to practice the piano a lot. And as a result, he has just released his first solo album. This is a really big deal. I can't wait to hear how many scales my dear friend Yannick Nézé-Séguin had to practice to prepare for this album. Congrats and big respect, dear Yannick. Welcome to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. And I wish I could give you a hug in person right now. <laughs> oh, Sarah, I wish I could hug you too. I mean, let's call it this virtual hug. Now, you know, before, you know, we're about to be able to hug each other for real. I, I, I can feel it. Listen, I, I didn't do many scales um, so Okay, far. this is where I want to get down to the nitty gritty because I listened <laughs> to the album. I listened to your interviews and I made up my introduction thinking, okay, Yannick must have sat down and done scales a lot. So this is what we find, want to find out now. Is it really true? So... I want to quote Marta Argerich, but of course, okay, don't get me wrong. Marta is a goddess. I'm nowhere near her as, as a pianist at all. But still, I love that she said that she's never done any scales and arpeggios, you know, for her. She said, I'm just going to replay and replay the passage until it sounds right. So that's more, that was more my technique during this year. <laughs> Yeah, but come on. I mean, pianists need some sort of technique because you played, okay, the album started and it starts quite slowly and beautiful. And I thought, oh, clever Yannick, he's only playing slow pieces. <laughs> yeah, but then you play, <laughs> you're my friend, so I can say this. Um, no, uh, Yeah, I forget that thousands of people are listening right now. So I thought, okay, that that's good. And then you played the Brahms. And I mean, I remember when I, in my piano days, I tried playing those incredibly beautiful, very difficult. And I was like, wow, you can't just pick that up. You can't just play that with no technique. So was your technique always there? Or if you say you didn't practice scales, how did you get that back? Or did it never leave? It's interesting about technique because I think there are two separate things now that usually we confuse. I know someone like you knows what I'm talking about, but I think in for the general public, we we think about, oh, someone has great musicality and someone has great technique, but we forget the third thing, which is the pure physical shape, which is different than technique. So I believe my technique has gotten better with the years because it became more smart, you know, because when I was a student and I was really practicing a lot and the only diploma in a way I have in life is not in conducting, it's in piano. So that was my day job up to age 22 or 23, you know, but I knew I wanted to become a conductor, but I never quite stopped playing the piano, but I could be sometimes six months, nine months without touching any key. And that was always that a pain. That is so unfair. As a horn player, I must just say at this point, <laughs> that's so unfair. <laughs> if we were, if we go two days without practicing, the conductors give yes. us a hard time. Yeah. yeah. Well, this, you're touching on many, uh, many aspects here. First, piano versus horn, and uh, but also about the conductor and the looks, you know, because that's why I always kept the piano. I wanted to be able to sit down, 
play chamber music with friends, play with singers, play with orchestra members, and forcing myself, I knew deep down there was an enjoyment, but there was also something forcing myself to sit down and try to do what I'm asking always everyone else to do, you know, as a conductor. And I think it's so healthy and so humbling for any conductor to keep that um, in mind. And I believe it's going to help me you know, grow as a conductor to always remember this. But of course, now there was a different intensity in getting back on a regular basis. Like you just said, Sarah, I think what helped was that I could play every day and enjoy playing slowly, enjoy playing a passage 12 times in a row, which to be really honest, when I was a student, I was already so much in my mind a conductor I never enjoyed doing that part of the work so now it's kind of late in the day when I'm 46 I'm feeling what I should have felt at 16. <laughs> That's good advice for any pianist listening um, very very good <laughs> advice what I also was impressed with you've talked about the piano being your orchestra even when you were a student, you know, you were you always had this orchestral feeling about the piano. But now recording this album, Introspection, which is a very, very good name. It really gives you an insight into what your mind state was while recording this. You tried to go back to the more intimate things, something you'd probably like to tell your 16-year-old self. Exactly. So my uh, my piano teacher, and we'll talk about her because the, the, the album is dedicated to her and also... Um, you know, maybe the reason why I decided to record. So she was a master in many ways, very old school from Brazil, being taught in France at a very young age, like many South American, you know, going back to Europe, like the Barenboims and the Argerich and so on, and Arau. And sound for her was really important. And generate a big sound was very important, but never harsh, never using any aggressivity or aggression in the sound, which was a great school. But as a result, it also played weirdly in my teenage dreams of being in front of an orchestra and conducting a Mahler symphony and a Bruckner symphony and a, a Brahms symphony also. So yes, I was a very loud player, but not loud meaning I was banging the keys. I couldn't stand that and still can't, but I wanted to generate the maximum the instrument could give me. And it's true that as a conductor also, maybe in more recent years, I, I gave more attention to the pianissimi, the, the soft side of the music and the more intimate side. And maybe that has welcomed, perhaps, this approach to the piano and the more on its most delicate side. So you've given us, I must say, you've sat down and recorded an album of your very first album, the Solo Piano Sessions. You've given us not just the normal album time of maybe just over an hour. You've gone way over two hours, you know. You gave me a lot of work with this. <laughs> I put your album on and it was like endless. It went... <laughs> I'm not complaining. It's beautiful stuff. It's all really great stuff. But so many. I mean, how is it just because you couldn't decide which ones? Or you think Madame Campos was her name, right? Yes. Are these all these pieces that she studied with you? Or did you know she loved them? Or are they just ones you felt you wanted to, to share? So I took at the beginning of the pandemic, not of boredom, by the way, as you said rightly, you know, my day jobs <laughs> kept me really busy during the pandemic. And of course, as a leader, that's the duty. You need to be there for the players. You need to be there to, 
you know, imagine ways of still connecting to the audience and bringing the music to the people. But musically, of course, because we were all reduced to almost silence for, for so many months, I needed music. So the piano was there. I went and took all my piano books from my childhood and my teenager years, all my student books, and opened them all and tried to play virtually every piece I ever learned in my life. And Madame Campos was really demanding in this. You know, there was a lot of repertoire. You know, we never kept something for a year or so. It was always new stuff, new stuff, new stuff. And I picked my favorite kind of just as an, to accompany myself, not at all in the, the idea, not in the slightest to do an album for DG. You know, it was only for myself. And it's when Madame Campos passed away in August that I had this impulse of just going to the best piano I knew in Quebec in the best setting, Domaine Forget, which is amazing. I think, I don't know if you've been there, Sarah, uh, but... I know, but some of my colleagues, they've asked me a couple of years running and I know there are beluga whales there. Yes. Okay, the music is, very, is great, but the beluga whales, <laughs> I have to go. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's just the most ideal setting for nature and music. So I... I I, I went there seven days in the week, a very small crew, great microphones, great piano, no schedule, no one on the site other than us. So I could start at nine in the morning to nine in the evening and no, no pressure and decided to bring all the, all the stuff, you know, not with any destination. And when it was time to... To do something with it, I spoke with Clemens Trautmann at uh, DG and said, look, I did this. I think I want to share this with the world. Maybe it's going to help some people for their own introspection. And, and, you know, and the rest is history. So that's why it's so long. It's, I couldn't really choose after that and thought, well, maybe that's the best way also to pay tribute is to treat it more like a big playlist, of piano where so uh, that's why we called it sessions and not really album because it's yeah we want to say piano playlist but that would have been a little too i don't know would sound commercial and that was not what we had in mind so I won't ask you which one is your favorite piece because <laughs> people asked you that on, on your Instagram live when you launched the album. And I always think that's so cruel. It's like asking for a favorite favorite child or a, or a yeah. favorite restaurant in, in Italy. I mean, it's just like impossible to say. But did Madame Campos have any favorites? Mm. She had some, some of her favorite pieces and that's always, it's fascinating, I think, when you're a great teacher, I guess that some of the pieces you really like, you try to keep to yourself. Because if you're teaching them too much, so I remember that the Chopin Ballade, she wouldn't really teach. And at some point I, I asked her and eventually she said why. She said, you know, it's because I, I want to keep it for me so that I can still love it as much, you know, and don't feel that I taught it so much that it doesn't have any freshness anymore for me. But in the pieces I on the album, she really, 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 really liked when I played Debussy for a reason. I don't know. I couldn't even understand why when I was a student and, you know, I was pretty young when I arrived in her class. I was 13 and she was more renowned for finishing 
you know, older. I was by far the youngest, I guess what, that's what I'm saying, when I entered the conservatoire in her class, not in the rest of the school, but in her class. And we had group uh, classes every week and everyone would play for each other. And uh, we learned also how to give constructive criticism uh, to, to each other and everything. And after almost each class, she would ask me, why don't you play the little shepherd? Debussy, and he go and play just as a, a, a finishing, a, a goodbye to each class. So th there is something, that's why I also finished the album with that. For me, maybe it's the simplicity of it. Maybe it just gets me back to my 12, 13-year-old self starting this journey with her. So Debussy, yes, was one of her favorites, clearly. I love that story. And actually, it's it's good Good I didn't know that before I listened to it because I, I was wondering, I was like, that's a, it's such a, you start and finish with Debussy and uh, two and a half hours later or however long it was. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful finish. And I was like, I wonder what inspired you to finish with that. And so now it, it makes it makes perfect sense. It's, it's a lovely, lovely tribute. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to go on a tour? Are you going to play these pieces for people live? Or Because usually, you know, talking to other Deutsche Grammophon artists, they they bring out an album and then they go on tour with it yeah. for you and people will be clamoring to hear you play this. But of course, you know, to play for a Carnegie Hall is a different thing than playing in a in a studio in, in Quebec. So great, Sarah, that you're asking me this, because if you had asked me a year ago, will you record a solo album? I would have said never, never. That's out of the question. Before that, and you speak about Carnegie Hall, just before the pandemic, I did a series of recitals with the great Joyce Di Donato, who we adore, and uh, we did Winterreise, Schubert, and one of it was at Carnegie Hall, and already I remember sitting there at Carnegie Hall with Joyce and thinking, oh my God, if anyone had, <laughs> had told me that I would be on the main stage of the Perelman stage of Carnegie Hall playing piano, I would never have believed it. So to answer your question, uh, the other thing I said that I would never do, even though it was a dream, was to play direct, play conduct. So do a Mozart concerto. And and then after this album, I decided to go and and throw myself in the ring. And I, I did that with Montreal, with audience, with a small but live audience. I did this in April. I did it in Philadelphia in May. We'll do it again this summer with the Philadelphia Orchestra with live audience. So... I always said never a recital, never. But now I, I, I'm afraid I can't say never anymore. You know, I, I would be tempted. You know, I, I guess the short answer would be, there's no plan as of yet, even though there are several venues that already said, hey, we're here whenever you do your recital tour. So there might be a, an opportunity. What I know is that I promised to myself that I will never, when life is about, you know, to resume back to its fullest and the great energy of, you know, guest conducting and, and traveling, I will always keep a bigger place for piano playing because it, it was so helpful for my own soul. And I do believe it's helping me grow as a musician. I, I, I love that because it's, it reminds me of like Andres Nelson's who now never travels without his trumpet, yeah. you know, because that was his instrument. And now he says he got back to the trumpet through Hawken Hardenberger and he takes his trumpet everywhere on the road with him because it makes him feel sort of comforting. And and you can, you're a, you're a big, big hotshot conductor. You can demand a grand piano in your suite wherever you are. 
<laughs> no, I think I will just be lucky that, you know, I'm working with so many great pianos already and great pianists. I have to say that my piano career, you know, I'm doing the, with my fingers now for the listeners, I'm doing the quote, you know, quote unquote career of piano so far was filled with great moments where I could collaborate with not only Joyce, but I just recorded another album, by the way, with Rene Fleming, a recital. And so before that, there was a lot of encores that I would go and sit at the piano after play, uh, conducting a concerto. So my list of partners of piano forehands Very is illustrious. Marta Argerich, <laughs> uh, Hélène Grimaud, Fima Bronfman, Manny Axe, Marc-André Hamelin, Louis Lorty, who else? Jean-Yves Thibaudet. So I got really lucky. <laughs> so all of these hey, people... Hey, I hear a new I hear a new album for Deutsche Grammophon in the works. Oh yeah, Encores with Yannick. <laughs> and then they... <laughs> And then wow. we can get all those people in to play encores with you. I would buy it. Great idea, Sarah. Mm, yeah. Huh? Love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Will yeah, I give cool. you a quote? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'll call them all up. No, but I think that's wonderful. But also, it. I mean, having, you know, gone the conducting route, I mean, there are a lot of conductors who started with the piano. I mean, even I started with the piano. But most conductors I know are pretty good pianists themselves. You just went that step higher and singers adore to, to work with you because you you have this way of of understanding how they, they I saw, saw a video of you with Joyce and, and you just breathe with them. You know, it's about, you're, you're just a singer person, I, I think, <laughs> ever since I met you. you. you Also, as a brass player, when I play with you in the orchestra, you you breathe with us, mm. you know, and that's such an important thing for us, for conductors, is that, that they breathe with us. And as a pianist, I mean, I was interviewing uh, Andre Schuhen, who brought out an amazing, yes. amazing album of Die Schöne Müllerin. It is absolutely gorgeous. And he and his pianist, Daniel Heide, they, they breathe together. I swear, they breathe at exactly the same time. You know, as a pianist, it's a beautiful instrument, don't get me wrong. But I believe that our goal is to imitate every other instrument. Like, uh, it's imitating, that's why we're talking about being so orchestral. But even if it's not orchestral, it is trying to create an illusion of a line where it's actually a hammer. So there's no such thing as a sustained sound. It's an illusion to create sostenuto on the piano and so on. So then you have to think of a cello, you have to think of a horn, you have to think of um, the flute, you have to think of the timpani. And that is, I think that's at least my mindset and the way I was brought up. So if I then go to the breathing and the singing, I also think that most instruments of the orchestra are trying to sing. They're trying to imitate the human voice. And I had kind of the perfect, by accident, by the way, but I had the pure luck, the perfect background in terms of studying the piano, but also singing in a choir and being trained in voice. And those two, right from my childhood onwards, could both, well, 
they were helping each other first. You know, my piano playing was obviously helping my uh, singing and the, uh, the other way around. And that's why as a conductor, I can't separate them anymore. And sitting at the piano for me is the same thing. Now I needed to be, to come to a point, you know, I'm about to do Winterreise again with Joyce in Baden-Baden, uh, early July, which I look forward to so much. But now that I send her a huge hug, please. I will, a huge, I huge will. hug. But you know now <laughs> a real one, a real a one. A real, yes, in person. So I promise I'll uh, video it for you. But you know, now that I've been doing this year of playing my instrument, I'm gonna feel so much more free to be even more with her. And that's always been my goal as a conductor is to feel free so I can breathe with the musicians, the people who are making the music, you know, you in the orchestra, the soloists. So it's the same when I sit at the piano, I just want to be the one facilitating this by being completely in sync. It's, it's a great album. I have a quick question, Yannick. We've talked about the music, but I have a practical question. Tell me about the album cover. You're wearing a hoodie, and this is the premiere for Deutsche Grammophon. They have never had a hoodie on, on the Yellow Label's covers before. I was very, And it's reflected so nicely in the piano. Tell me about your hoodie. <laughs> you know, I... I, I this is very much my style of what I wear. You know, I love nice hoodies. I love uh, this one, by the way, for the record, is a Dior hoodie. And I love to... Uh, of course to, it is. Right? So, <laughs> but I like to collect them. I like beautiful colors. And in a year where we were all in soft clothes, <laughs> right? Soft fabric. Thank goodness. I couldn't... You remember getting back into jeans oh, after the first time. A, oh, dear. It's an aggression. Oh, it's an aggression <laughs> to the body. So, so there, therefore, it was only natural for me in that photo shoot that I would, it was telling the message about this introspection, about this time. I didn't want to be, you know, we're, we can't wait to get out of this COVID thing. But on the other hand, we can't ignore it. And this album is a way of the soul a reflection and introspection, the soul searching that we all did at some point in our life, especially in the past year. So it was very natural for, for me to wear it there. I didn't mean it to be shocking or something undressed or, you know, certainly not overdressed. But, you know, for me, it was kind of chic. And then I read the comments and everyone was commenting, oh, it's so great. It's so... And, you know, Trevor Noah now on uh, American TV is wearing hoodies when he hosts his shows. And so it it falls kind of in a trend that I ignored in a way because for me, it was just dressing up the way I am and... Maybe I love it because this is just showing the, the real Yannick. And that's the very scary, by the way, gesture of releasing an, an album. Uh, when you're Absolutely. Uh, when it's actually myself talking through this very unknown side of me instead of being in front of an orchestra and just speaking through everyone else, you know, in the orchestra who's, who are actually playing the sound, you know making this song. Well, huge, huge kudos, respect, really, because I, I know I know what it is when you put an album out there, you're putting part of your soul. And as you say, we all make the sound for you in an orchestra, you know, you put the baton down and we have to make the sound. But here you are putting your fingers on the keyboards and, and creating your own introspection, your own, you know, and you're also it's a tribute so that it's doubly as yeah. important to your soul. Congratulations for that. And I was just wondering to finish off, what on earth are you going 
going to do next? I mean, three orchestras, a solo piano album, leader, partner of Joyce DiDonato. I mean, really, it's quite impressive. Oh, well, my goal in life is to to share my love for music and for musicians. You know, that's always been what was guiding me. And I've been so lucky, you know, so far to meet all of, you know, people like you and people like your colleagues in Berlin, but also people with other orchestras in the world and, you know, Philadelphia, New York, Montreal, obviously. So the partnership is what's really important for me. It's really the collaboration. I don't have goals that are uh, different than just finding ways of sharing that love of music with as many people as possible. So I don't know, maybe the next goal will be, yes, indeed, recitals, or maybe, I don't know what is going to become, maybe partnering or bringing my piano playing more into educational and community outreach uh, projects. I have uh, several ideas on that front and maybe that's when we talk next that that's going to be what's in store or maybe more piano for DG, who knows. I recorded more stuff. Um, (laughs) I recorded more stuff since. I went back back to Charlevoix and recorded big, great sonatas now. So uh, especially of course... There's no stopping him. No, but, well, you know, especially to learn about composers that I conduct in a different way. You know, just go back to to their their more intimate repertoire. Yannick, you are a force of nature. I adore talking to you and I can't wait for the day where I can hug you in person and we can go out and have dinner um, like we did in our old touring days. Uh, yes, I know it's going to come back soon. I can't wait, Sarah. I miss you and I want to congratulate you like the whole world again for this great, huge honor that you got, which was so well deserved in the in the UK. Congratulations. But I can't call you Dame you. as of yet, right? No, no, no. I'm not a Dame. I'm only a a member of the British Empire, Uh but it's still, it's enough to make my mother almost pass out in (laughs) in joy and pride. I mean, we can't explain what this means to a British person. It's just like a huge honor. And I'm just so happy that our branch, you know, our, our, our music and our world, it's not just me, it's, it's the, the, what we do is being recognized, you know, classical music and the promotion of classical music. And you do it also so, so well. So congratulations for all you do. And thank you for this wonderful introspection, <laughs> this album and for this talk. I know, you know, you've got a hundred more interviews to do when you bring out an album, you know, it's a lot of work as you're seeing as a solo artist. Yeah, yeah. Everyone wants to talk about your hoodie. <laughs> it's, it's a different different kind of promotion. And uh, I love it. I love it. But talking to you is always very special. Thank you, Sarah. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being with us. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Yannick Nezé-Segan, his wonderful album, Introspection Solo Piano Sessions, out on DG. That was the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast for this month. And I'm Sarah Willis, and I will see you very, very soon. Yannick, merci beaucoup. Hugs to Montreal. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, almost forgot. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to stay up to date with future episodes and also listen to some fabulous past episodes, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast from. I'm Sarah Willis. I love this podcast with Yannick Neze-Segan and I hope to see you next month. Bye-bye.